0: Feed on your flaws. They drain your time. And they never leave you alone. Hey, I need to run a few errands. Can you watch my dog? Again? just thankful for the moments we share as a community, and let us see the beauty of Jesus once again. Accomplish the purpose for which you send your word and direct us into life. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, have you ever been controlled by a child? A child at a young age knows how to go on a power trip. They know how to manipulate. They have this thing called a tantrum. And a tantrum is hugely effective. For example, if you've been watching TV, and they've had on Doc McStuffins for two hours, you try to watch football or some adult television, that tantrum is effective. It might have you watching Doc McStuffins once again, and don't worry, I don't need to watch adult TV. Who am I, right? That tantrum is effective in public, isn't it? Has anyone ever been in a store where you caved? I am not fighting it today. I just want to check out, I I wouldn't usually buy you the toy, I wouldn't usually buy you the candy bar, but because you have the public opinion right now, which says be quiet, here it is. Yes, children are effective in controlling each other, and controlling us. I'd love to tell you this changes past the age of two, but it does not. Our children are a little bit older. I need to pick a little bit on my child named Nadia. Nadia loves ice cream with a fierce love. She's not here, so I can pick on her. Right? She loves it with a fierce love. In fact, if I ask her what she wants to be when she grows up, she says, ice cream taste tester. Now, I don't think that's a thing, but she might create it. And so if we ever ask the question, what do you want to do with some free time, her answer is, let's get ice cream. But if we've gotten ice cream two days prior, or even yesterday, we cannot go for ice cream once again. That's not going to happen. But when I say no, I know I have to bear the look. Do you guys know what the look is? The look where they stare deep into your soul and ask the question, I thought you loved me. And that is hard, hard. Yes, children know how to control. But maybe it's not just children who know how to control. Maybe you've experienced this with a spouse, maybe a boss, an employee, a coworker. I came across a lady named Kelsey Hayes, who is a control freak. Um, I, I came across this in social media. She said, if I marry someone who doesn't like sleeping with the fan on, then we'll just have to compromise and sleep with the fan on. She might have some control issues, friends, but maybe this relates to someone in the room. I don't know. Or maybe it's a boss. Has a boss ever given the impression that if you want to keep your job here, you've got to do it just this way. It could even be in a relationship. You ever been in a relationship with a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, saying, if you don't do this, if you're not about this, then I'm not sure we can continue. Yes, there are a lot of controlling people out there. Maybe you've met some. Well, in studying for this sermon, I came across a wise pastor named Craig Groeschel, which is where we draw this series from. And, and he said that really a control freak has two things in their arsenal, and two things that I would agree with. He said that when it comes to control freaks, the weapons they have are both threats and guilt. So they threaten, and they say, if you want your job, if you want this relationship, you better. Or they use guilt. You might be manipulated if you hear this phrase. After all that I've done for you, and you can't, but I thought you loved me and were committed, and you won't. Sometimes this is even used against Christians if— if you're a Christian, you might have heard, and you call yourself a Christian, but you won't. You know what I'm saying? It's interesting because we find that there is nothing new under the sun, that this kind of activity has been going on since the, the, the dawn of time. And what we find in Scripture is this, this relationship that's pretty toxic between Samson and Delilah. Does anyone remember the story of Samson and Delilah? Let me explain a little bit of it. Uh, Samson was used by God to protect the Israelites. He had great strength, but was interested in Delilah, who was part of the enemy camp, the Philistines. Now, the Philistine enemies went to Delilah and said, you need to find out the secret to Samson's strength. You need to manipulate and control it so that he finally tells you. Well, Samson wouldn't give in. Night after night, he came to Delilah, would tell her lies, until finally Delilah wins the battle. She uses both threats and guilt. And in Judges 16, you can see the culmination. Here's what the control freak named Delilah says to Samson. She says, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So again, where is the, the the, the guilt, you say, I love you. And where is the threat? Nagging. Now, that is a real threat, friends. If you've ever been around a nagger, you know that that can work. And so Delilah wins, but Samson loses. It's here where Samson tells her the secret of the strength and eventually loses his life for it. So I think the moral of the story is if you give in to a control freak, you will die. Just saying. But no, we got to work this out a little bit. We we know what we're talking about because we've experienced it, whether it be a child or someone else in our life. And that's why this series, uh, Relational Vampires, is so important. Yes, we again are doing a lighthearted approach on a very serious topic, which is how to deal with difficult people. And and what we see with vampires, if you're dressing up as one in a few weeks, is that they suck the lifeblood out of you. That's what vampires are known for doing. So sometimes if you're around a difficult person, they can just drain all of the joy, all of the peace, all of the emotional energy right out of you. And so why is this important? Well, it's because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he says there's a mark about you. And that mark is not your fish thing on the back of your car, but that's not bad. Your mark is not a cross necklace or a cross tattoo. Rather, he said there's a different mark. If you want to be marked to be known as my follower, this is what it needs to be. He he said uh, through the words of John, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you, can you say that word, if you, yeah, And so he says, you want to look like me, you got to love. you got to get love right. And you can't love right if you don't deal with difficult people in a proper way. And so we need to work this out because another golden rule that we hear Jesus say is, love your neighbor as yourself. And why do we do this? Friends, we don't do this to prove our salvation or win it. I need to remind you that salvation has already been won by the love and the beauty of Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for you so that you could be at peace today. We do this just to thank him, to say, God, you are so good that if I could look like you, if I could act like you, help me to do that. I know what it feels like when you love me that way. Help me to love other people the way that you love, because the world would look different, and that is our inspiration. And so let's get into the Word of God. We're we're going to draw from the Word of God, and really the Word is our strength. Um, the, the strength does not come from anything other than the Holy Spirit working through His word or sacraments. Uh, so we're going to turn to the book of Matthew. Now a little bit about the Bible. We do believe that God preserved the Bible in a miraculous way. In fact, if you're an academic, you can find in research there are over uh, 2,000 New Testament manuscripts. And they all back up one another, uh, telling you that, again, God had His hand in preserving this word. And so when it comes to the Word of God, you don't have to treat it like fake news. Uh, You don't have to wonder, is it really right? Uh, You can trust that we're finally hearing his voice as we turn to these pages. So here we have an interaction between Jesus and a control freak named Peter, and we see Jesus win. So now again, Matthew 16 and your worship folder are on the screen. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whatever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is the word of God, this interplay between Jesus and Peter, and we're going to have fun exploring it. But could you do me a favor? Could you turn to the person next to you and say, get behind me? I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not, don't say that one. <laughs> could you turn to the person next to you and tell them, I will follow him. I will follow him. Follow him wherever he—anyway, sorry. <clears throat> Let's have some fun with the Word of God. Um, important news, friends. A couple of days ago, uh, October 4th, was National Taco Tuesday. Uh, anyone a fan of tacos? You, you might have uh, a Taco Tuesday or a Taco Wednesday, a Taco Saturday. I, Taco every day, I don't know. Um, and, and as it was National Taco Day, um, National Taco Day, I, I met an incredible guy named David Millar. David Millar grew up in Michigan and was moved to Texas, and there his taste beds opened. And he's on a mission now to try every taco in the town of Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, right now he has tried 337 different tacos. You can read about it in a blog called, All the Tacos, if you want to waste some time. Um, <laughs> I love David Millar's phrase. Uh, this, this could be hashtag life goals. Um, he said, it's easy to find tacos. It's just hard to try and find all of them. (laughs) So if you again want a great goal for life, David Millar, he's your hero. But I believe that if this is truly his mission, it'll probably dictate his activity, won't it? If he really wants to try every taco in town, it means that he can't have spaghetti on every night of the week. He can't have pizza on every night of the week. He's gonna have to have quite a few tacos, right? Now pastor, why are you bringing this up? Well, I have a point. Jesus Christ also has a mission. It's significantly different than David Millar, but he knows what it is. He's not here to try every taco in Fort Worth, Texas, but he is here to save the world, and he knows it. In fact, he tells his disciples what mission he's on. In verse 21, he says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to him this mission, that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus knew exactly who he was and exactly what he was on earth to do. Jesus was none other than the Messiah, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And he was on a mission to live perfectly in our place, on a mission to die our death on the cross, on a mission to rise up victoriously. He knew that was his calling. And he did it for each one of us. Also, that we could know how good he is. We could know his peace and his love. And because Jesus was so much in the know of what he was here to do, he did not stray from his calling. When Peter comes and Peter says, no, this will never happen to you, he is very firm, isn't he? Even calling him Satan, saying, you don't have in mind the things of God but the things of man, so much was he convinced of his calling. And we learn from Jesus this clear point that a clear calling is combat against a control freak. When you know who you are and what you are here to do, it will help you versus the voices of everyone else. It'll help you stay in your lane. And so what I need to ask you and what we need to be real with is this. What have you been called to do? Now, thankfully, none of us have been called to be the savior of the world. There's only one, so we don't have to worry about that. Maybe you also will not take up David Millar's challenge to try all the tacos in Frankfurter, New Lenox. That's okay, too. But what have you been called to do? Now that very question could be a whole sermon series. It really could. But I want to describe for you what I've been called to do in hopes that you will process for your very own. Does that make sense? For example, in my own life, I know that I am called to be a husband. That started 13 years ago. And uh, in that calling, I know it's my role as a Christian spouse to give up my life just as Jesus did for the church, to serve in the way that Jesus did. And it means that I need to pursue paths that will enhance that activity and avoid paths that will get in the way of that activity. That's my clear calling. I'm called to be a father. And I'm not a friend, I'm a father. and We can have that dialogue. I don't know if you ever have that dialogue. It means that I am here to train my children on how to handle life. It means that I am here to tell them about Jesus because if I know something good, I got to pass on what I know to be good to them. It means that I show them love and based on Scripture that I'm not harsh with them or try not to be. This is a clear calling. I have another call. I have a call to serve the great people of amazing love in this church family. It is my calling to tell you how great Jesus is and how much He loves you the beauty of his love, that is higher, wider, longer, and deeper than you can imagine even right now. To direct you by the word, to guide, to administer the sacraments. How awesome. What a wonderful calling. In my calling, I will also call upon you to be involved in a church, to serve together, to grow together, to meet other people. And not because how it helps me at the church, but how it helps you in your calling as a Christian to connect to the bride called the church. That is my calling. But you know what I'm not called to? I'm not called to be a sports commentator. As much as I want to be a sports commentator and really be in the know, Bears play Miami today. Bear down. um, It's really not my role. It's really not my role. I am not called to be a video game expert. I do enjoy video games. I grew up on NES. I could play them all day. But it's not my calling. I'm not called to be a car guy, or to have a really good golf game. And not that any of those things are bad, I just know that they're not my calling. And the moment that I let them interrupt my clear callings, they become a distraction to what I'm here on earth to do. So what about you? Have you processed? What is your calling? Now, if you're a married person, and maybe you have kids, you have a similar calling. I would remind you that if you are in Christ, uh, God calls for an ordered love. That ordered love looks like this. God number one, spouse number two, kids number three, career number four, along with everything else. If you read the Bible, he's very clear on that. To have an ordered love. What about single people? Any single people here? And I, I love to remind you that single people are not less them. In fact, one of the greatest apostles named Paul was single. He said, I could dedicate myself more uh, as a single person. And so what your dichotomy might look like is, God, number one, number two, freedom. (laughs) That's pretty good, (laughs) you know. In your freedom, you might choose school. You can do that. You're single. In your freedom, you might choose a career. You can do that. You're single. In your two, you could choose friends. You can do that. You're single. So again, it's not that one is worse or better, but God is pretty clear on some things. For example, if you are in Christ, he also has directives on how we should act. He says we are to be lights in this world, so that's going to inform our activity. We're going to love people. We're going to forgive people. We're going to be patient with people. We're going to pursue purity. Uh, Whether we're married or not married, that's what we're going to do because we're called to it. Have you got yours? You know, another great example of being compelled by calling is a man, Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, a little bit of Bible history— he was called to rebuild the, the Jerusalem walls. After the Babylonian captivity, after Babylon had totally destroyed Jerusalem, he was called to rebuild and, and to preserve that remnant. But not everyone wanted him to accomplish that. He had enemies who were getting in the way, control freaks who were trying to stop Nehemiah and his work. But When the control freaks came, look at what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah says this, So here are the enemies, the control freaks. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. Oh no, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down too? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. They were relentless trying to get him down, but he was relentless saying, No, no, no. See, I got great work I'm doing. You are not going to get me past my clear calling regardless of your priorities, regardless of how urgent you make this. That's a good word, isn't it? But you know what can mess up all of this? The desire to people please. And, And a little bit of participation here. How many of you would say you're a people pleaser? and some of you are raising your hand just because I asked you to. You're trying to please me. Thank you very much. You proved it once again. Way to go. And I can relate to you. I'm among you. In fact, I was uh, researching a little about people pleasers on the web, and and I found the many faces of a people pleaser. I thought this was interesting. The many faces of a people pleaser. Happy, bored, angry, terrified. If you know someone who's always happy-go-lucky, you might have just spotted a people pleaser. Because what we know going on inside that people person is completely different. Here's the inside perspective. What will they think? What if I say no? I wish I could say no. What if they get mad? Will we still be friends? That's what's actually going on internally. And then probably my favorite that I found on the web was was this one. I am a recovering people pleaser. Is that okay? <laughs> That's awesome. And I would grant you that it is hard to find the line between Where do I go in service to someone else, and where have I crossed over into unhealthy people-pleasing? I I would understand that's a hard dance, and yet what I need to be very firm on and tell you, something that I believe, is that people-pleasing is or can be idolatry. Because what you're basically saying is that your voice is more important than God's voice. Your priorities for my life are more important than what I've determined God's priorities are for my life. So you need to be real with the fact that this is against what God wants for us. That there is a disease to people-please. It's not always good. You know, in, in looking at the sermon, Pastor Greg Rochelle, he got it right. He, he, he prompted the question, what if Jesus was a people-pleaser? Or he put it this way, what if Jesus was codependent? As Peter comes to him and says, oh no, you should never do this, what if Jesus was codependent and saying, oh no, I'm so sorry, Peter. Peter, please don't be mad at me. Peter, can we still be friends? Peter, I was going to save the world, but whatever you want. You know, if you want ice cream, a golf game, let's do that, Peter. Just please, please. That'd be a bad Jesus, wouldn't it? Right? If Jesus was codependent, hanging on the thoughts of Peter. Do you know, Paul... Paul also learned you cannot serve God and also try to please people. As Paul was given the mission of telling the Gentiles the gospel, sometimes people hated him for it. They put him in jail. They threatened him with death. Sometimes people loved him, like Lydia, who provided for his mission. But it didn't matter the reaction. He knew his clear calling. And that's why this is what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. He said, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. What about you? Is there anyone that perhaps you are codependent with? Hanging on their voice over God's? Their approval over God's? Their way over God's? Do you have an unhealthy desire to people please? As it affects your emotions? Is now they're happy with you, rather than hearing how God is happy with you. Today is a day of repenting. And today we repent of letting anyone else be God. Letting anyone else's voice supersede His. To draw us in less than priorities or in paths that just aren't good for us. Because the reality is no one else is qualified to be the God of your life. There is only one. And His name is Jesus. And Jesus, with his voice that calls us, it is the same voice that said, it is finished. And it is finished. That was a statement of a a calling accomplished. It is finished is the reason that we are set free. And so Jesus says to each one of us, he calls us with the voice, he says, I don't condemn you for I have called you. He said, I'm not fuming at you for I'm forgiven you. He says, I don't loathe you, for I love you. This is God's voice in your life, and it's the only one that matters. It's the only one that will matter for all eternity. See, when Jesus returns, or when we meet him at our end, it'll be Jesus' voice that says, Hey, Father, I know this one. This one believes in me. Let them enjoy our happiness and bliss forever. That is the voice that will matter. It will not be your boss. It will not be your spouse. It will not be your children. Hear his voice. Dear friends, so that is how we avoid the vampires of controlling people, through a clear calling and listening to the voice of God. But what I love about Jesus is that He's not only our Savior, He is also our inspiration. And uh, I I was inspired to do something this past week. Uh, Pray for me, friends. I have just joined CrossFit. Anyone do CrossFit? CrossFit. And I finally got to the point where we were flipping tires, so, um, so that was my calling. For, for about a minute, four times, I had to flip a tire as much as I could. And so in the first round, I flipped it for five times. The second round, four times. The third time, four times. And then the coach comes over and tells me how much the tire weighs. It weighed 430 pounds. Yeah! Anyway, but all I knew is that I needed to keep going because that was my calling. In that minute was just to press forward and flip that tire, look ridiculous, but it's okay. Um, that's what I was here to do. What has God called you to do to be in reckless abandon for? To pursue Him. See, there are many callings in this life. There are many good things you could pursue, but if you don't pursue Him— You miss it all. See, you're only here for a minute. You're only here for a moment. And if you miss him, you miss everything. And so a man named Paul said, I'm going to press on towards the goal to which Christ has called me heavenward. In fact, I was reading of Revelation, of the culmination of the faith, of the beauty of Jesus, sitting on this throne where it shone like emerald and rainbows. It was incredible. And, And what I read in Revelation is this, this last phrase, that if we're faithful, even to the point of death, if we don't give up on that calling, then we will get the victor's crown. Yes, God is not only our Savior, but He's our inspiration to commit to that calling, to not give up, to pursue Him with dogged determination. All right. But before we leave, a final thought. We know vampires exist, but how do we keep from becoming a controlling vampire ourselves. How how does this work in our own lives? Well, let's be real. How many people can you control? Can you control anyone else? Let's talk about this. Some of you might have heard of Hurricane Michael and saw the devastation, especially to Mexico Beach, Florida. And we'll have a chance to pray for them in our time together. Uh, Pray that God would still show His grace and His provision, even in this time of distress. We recognize, once again, that our world is subject to frustration. That sin really has affected everything, and so there are natural disasters. What I was looking at this story, one of the things I drew away with was the head of FEMA and his frustration. See, the head of FEMA is Brock Long, and they knew that this hurricane was coming, and they mandated the evacuation of at least 13 counties, but do you think everyone listened? Not at all. And so he was reported as saying this. The head of FEMA said, A lot of people don't pay attention to anything we say or do when it's a blue sky day and nothing's happening. It's frustrating to us because we repeat this cycle over and over again, he continued. You see this enough in your career, you get ticked off about it. Why is he heated and what does he know? He can't control people. Even when he has really good reason for their evacuation, he can't actually move them out of their houses or get them to do anything. What about you? Let me ask it again. Can you control anyone? You can't. That's why you're trying. You might have influence. You might have people in your sphere, but you can't get them to do anything. I recognize this as a pastor. You know, one of my privileges it is is to meet with people and to talk about life. And so often we talk about life, and, and I recognize how my opinion just doesn't matter. Like, there's no power in a pastor's opinion. I also recognize I can't do anything for anyone else. They have to make that choice. But what I have learned is that there is someone who can have their way. See, what I have learned is this, that I can't control or change someone, but God can. And so you know what I do as a pastor? When I meet, I'm, I'm scrambling in my mind to find Bible passages and to point them to the Word because then I know the Holy Spirit can work. And the Holy Spirit performs heart surgery. The Holy Spirit can take a, a stony heart and a callous heart, a heart that doesn't want Him, and make it a heart of flesh. A heart that says, God, I want to do what you say. God, I, I believe in what you have said to me. That's what God does. You know, that's why I love our mission at Amazing Love. We are here to reach the lost with the love of Christ, and we don't want to control people, but I do think we're hoping for some change. We're hoping that people would change as they know peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding, regardless of the circumstance. We're hoping lives change as they know joy, that the joy of the Lord would be their strength because Jesus wins and we have one in him. We pray that they would change knowing love, A love that drowns all our insecurities. A love that covers all of our need for acceptance and approval. A love that is more than we can imagine right now. Yes, we're hoping that people would change because we know Jesus can affect that change. So maybe right now there's someone who you would like to change. Someone who you wish would make a turnaround. Can I give you some advice? You can't change them, but you can introduce others to Jesus and then people will have the power to change. And they might not change exactly how you wanted them. They they might not clean up their act or do exactly what you want, but they will change in the only way that matters, knowing the only love that matters. And that love that changes everything. So dear friends, let's not be control freaks. Let's be a blessing as we share Jesus. Let us also remember to hear Jesus' voice over every other voice. It is the only voice that matters, and it is the voice that says, You are loved. Amen. Please stand. And the peace of God which transcends our understanding may it guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.